0: Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line by embracing behavioral economics. And now, here are your hosts, world-renowned thought leader on customer experience, Colin Shaw, and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. So I think one of the things that WXO can do by... Bringing some trust and legitimacy, and identifying the good from the made-up hot air, I think we can bring legitimacy to the experience economy. We can do something effective with it.
1: I think Napoleon said that too. Napoleon. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I, th- I think. I think. Definitely. Definitely. wasn't oh, that Genghis Khan? I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> That's the key reason for me why I find this exciting. The ability to have a debate with other people who share a similar passion, but come at it from a completely different angle. So Ryan, we've got a special guest on the show today. Okay. Welcome James Warman from the World Experience Organization. Hello, Colin and Ryan. How are you today? Absolutely wonderful. Let me tell the story, James, of of how you and I connected and a little bit about your organization, because I've got high hopes for it. I was actually doing a webinar with Joe Pine, who wrote The Experience Economy. I'm sure everybody knows about that. And if you don't, you should. Joe and I were just chatting and we were sort of lamenting the fact that there doesn't seem to be a decent organization around that deals with things at a more higher level to do with the whole area of customer experience and experience economy. And Joe then put me in touch with James and James has launched a really good organization called the World Experience Organization and has asked me to be a founding circle member, which sounds so posh, but how <laughs> can I refuse? <laughs>
1: I assume that that'll come with a belt buckle. Yes, James, all the founding circle members will get a commemorative belt buckle. It's a belt buckle is a very important part of this, but also shoe buckles,
0: Ryan. I I think shoe buckles are often overlooked in modern society, but we've got a really beautiful WXO. It's a kind of brass plaque for your shoes.
1: That's just another level
2: of posh. (laughs) <laughs> Did you know that I'm the first founding Meta circle member to resign?
1: <laughs> <laughs> it was great while um, it lasted, Colin. Yeah. Come on,
0: surely your adamant fantasies are coming alive <laughs> now.
2: <laughs> Let's dive into this. Tell the audience, what is the World Experience Organisation? What is it you're doing and why you're doing it? Look, thanks for having me on today. And I'm really excited to have you on board
0: here, Colin, because you came very highly recommended by Joe. In fact, I think you're in the first like three people. He said these are the people you need to have in this. You've been in this field for a uh, couple of decades. I know, am I right? About about two and a half decades or something doing this? Yeah, yeah, yeah twenty years nearly. Right, yeah. exactly. So people that have been around doing better experience for some time are really valuable to the organisation. So the reason that I set it up is because it needed to exist. To be quite frank, it just needed to exist. Somebody needed to do it and nobody else had done it. And I thought, well, well, COVID hit. So I had more time. I spent a lot of my time doing workshops and keynotes in probably similar to you as well in in other parts of the world. And all of a sudden no one could go anywhere and I was stuck. And I thought, well, there's this thing that I've I've been, I was noodling around with it for the past probably year and a half beforehand, talking to some people here and there, trying to figure out if the If the problem existed in my head or it also existed in other people's heads (laughs) and I had the opportunity and somebody, I think this is why it's received the support it has as an idea. It's certainly not because of me. It's because the idea itself is strong. I want to borrow from trying to think of the French guy who said something and the English translation is no army can stop an idea whose time has come. Yeah. I can't think the French guy was, but it's a terrible translation. Well, it's, it's not the words he said, but it's, it's that
2: kind of thing. Ryan normally claims all quotes that are, have got any sense in them.
1: It was either Charles de Gaulle or Napoleon, <laughs> or I might have said it in French at one point. I was about to say, are, the, are these the two French people that you yeah, know? That's all I know. That's it. <laughs> Those were the ones. Yeah. What about Joan of Arc? <laughs> she might have said it too. Yeah. It's a very popular saying in France, as far as I know.
2: So James what's the purpose of the organisation if nobody's ever heard of the world experience organisation before what is it and why should they worry about it they should be excited about it not worry about it
0: they should be really excited about it because it, the time is i think the time has come for the experience economy i think it's being recognised more and more that Our culture is changing. Our economy is changing. What people value, what consumers value is not so much, obviously, you'll know this intimately, not so much the stuff they can get hold of, not so much the services that come with that stuff, but something that's a bit more personal and meaningful, and that's the experience. I think Joe and Jim's, Joe Pine and Jim Gilmore's idea, this progression of economic value, you know, obviously, which they published in, the book was published in 1999, is coming true. It's clear that the people who made the most money in the, agricultural economy were the people that owned the most land. The people that made the most money during the industrial economy were the people with the factories. The people who made the most money were the people who provided the services in the service economy. And now it's the people who create the most compelling experiences. They're the ones who are winning and capturing, delivering and capturing the most value. So I mean that's one side of the experience economy. The other side is, is the economy of experiences. you like, as the consumers are shifting from being materialistic in terms of the dominant value system in our culture. It's moving across to what I call experientialism. So instead of looking for happiness, identity, and status in stuff, we're finding happiness, identity, and status in experiences instead. So there's a, a long-term shift in our relative spending from things to experiences. And the two are happening together. And there hasn't been a cross-sector organization. And that's a, it's just a huge mistake. The thing is, if you're designing experiences for you know, for a tech company in terms of the UX or the CX, you're still designing an experience. And if you're designing an immersive play and your secret cinema, or your Vince Kadlubeck at Meow Wolf, or you're creating a retail experience in a a shopping mall, or you're designing an airport, or you're designing a city, you know, urban design, or uh, destination management, or destination marketing, or pretty much everything. The important way to connect with people is through that experience. And the thing is, because the people you're dealing with, still people. Whether you have a device and you're a tech consumer, you may also be a theme park consumer. You may also go on holiday. You're designing an experience. And my belief is, it's lucky actually that other people also share this belief, is that those sectors should be talking to each other because they can learn from each other. If you go back to things like the The Pax Romana and the Pax Mongolica and the uh, Pax Americana, right? What happens in these times of peace is that people from, in the Pax Romana, people from different ends of the Mediterranean and other sides of Europe got to talk to each other. That creates innovation. With the Mongolian peace, when Genghis Khan obviously destroyed a lot of people, but he created a corridor between the East and the West. You get innovation because somebody from one place meets somebody else from another place and, and says, here's my obvious idea. And the other person says, wow, I'd never thought of it that way. And I can steal your idea and use it in this new way. And I actually think COVID is an incredible opportunity for this because all of a sudden, it's easier and quicker for me to talk to somebody in California than it is to talk to somebody in East London. Because- I can just have a Zoom call with them. So I think this is an incredible fertile ground for collaboration. And I think that's what the WXO will do. And that's why people should be excited about it because when you get the immersive theater guys, the games designers with the UX guys and the CX guys, for example, what seems obvious in one area isn't already obvious in the other area. And we can bring those together and create better experiences. It'll be good for experienced designers. it will be good for companies who ex- employ those experienced designers. And everybody gets to win. We will create more value, better experience. We'll make better, happier people, better products, better services, better experiences. And yeah, I think that's the opportunity. Sorry, I'm sort of, I feel like I'm now
2: standing on my, um, my soapbox. I never thought I'd have a podcast where we talked about Genghis Khan, but there you go. <laughs> <laughs> we're probably related to him, right? I, I know we're related to him, somewhere. he's a very prolific man. Yeah, no, I, 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 yeah, I'm sure we are. But the reason I, I was excited about it is because I do believe that there is, or there isn't, a place where people are really sharing ideas and sharing concepts. The bit that I'm really interested in is this whole area of more sort of destination theatre-based things. And as when we've spoken a few times, obviously, and there is then the commodity selling of something that a syringe or a blue tack or post-its or whatever it may be. But at the end of the day, the customer is still having an experience those are for me a sort of you move from having a theatrical experience where you're creating something in a in a destination or a, or in a retail outlet and then you have buying something online that like post its either way the customer is having an experience and i think that what's lacked is this forum for sharing these ideas and, and actually just exchanging thoughts and ideas from people. And the existing places that I know of tend to be more lower level and are being bastardized, basically. And I know I'm writing a piece on this for you, but being bastardized in the sense of everybody saying that their job's customer experience now, but actually what they were doing last week was customer service or market research, and they haven't changed exactly what they're doing at all. Just a relabeling exercise? Yeah, just a, absolutely. Just a relabeling exercise, yeah.
0: Where it's really interesting, I think, is I really agree with you, but people I've talked to across different parts of the experience economy are saying the same kind of thing. And I think it's a bit like, um, do you remember greenwashing? Yeah. You know, the greenwashing thing where people pretend they're being eco when they weren't, because because all of a sudden being eco was the thing to be. I think it's exactly the same with the buzz term experience. Everything has to be an experience. I remember talking to a guy, I think a guy in New York who runs a travel agency, and he was just saying, "Ah, oh, everyone says every experience, and it just isn't. And, and one of the things that I think the WXO can do is help separate between something that's a service or something that's just a very good service or whatever it is, and an experience. And I think that, yeah, there was this one guy in Utah, John Connors, who set up something called the Color Run. He's writing something for us about how the WXO can help Kill bad experiences. I love this idea. This is separating the the men from the boys, the quality from the bad quality. And I think we're going to call this something to do with no more fire festivals. You know that there was that fire festival. <laughs> it, it was all spin. And I think that exactly as you said, there, Colin, people renaming what they do with the term experience because it sounds great and the problem i mean it's the, actually who was i talked to yesterday i talked to head of experiential marketing for adobe who's joining us actually a great guy a guy called ben and he was talking about how everyone's saying that what they're doing is experience and therefore it's the that's it. it's the wild west at the moment where people can say oh we're doing this we're doing this this is experience this is experience and one of the problems that that does is it Delegitimizes what's happening. It removes trust from what's happening, and it means from the perspective of someone at board level or you know CEO COO level, is they look at this and they say, "There's a lot of hot air here. Okay, let's just push it to one side and let's focus on what we can measure, what we can do, and we're not interested in this." So I think one of the things that WXO can do by bringing some trust and legitimacy and identifying the good, the useful, and the meaningful from the made-up hot air. I think we can bring legitimacy to the experience economy. We can bring legitimacy to the people that actually practice it and do something effective with it. And we can support the industry to grow while getting rid of
1: the jokers and the people that are kind of the me-toos. So can I ask, it sounds like the principal thrust of the organization is... A place where ideas can rub up against each other, which, which sounds very exciting. And I'm, um, how are you going to do that? So it sounds like part of it is getting thought leaders to push boundaries and kind of write things that are disruptive and, and causing us to think in new ways. And what are the other ways that, that you're hoping to get these ideas to kind of propagate? That is a great question,
0: Ryan. And I'll be honest, I don't actually know where we'll go with this. Obviously, I've got some ideas of where we'll go. But one of the things that I think should happen is we should build it as we go. One of the things
1: I've... actually find that to be a really refreshing answer, James. That sounds sounds great. Oh, thanks. No, in all sincerity, uh, people who start out with too rigid a vision and knowing exactly where a very dynamic field is going to go in their own mind often end up kind of cul de sac themselves and defining, like forcing the future instead of being flexible and seeing where they want it to go. As you mentioned, a lot of things have changed just in the last year. So sorry to interrupt. Please continue. I, I just, I approve of the approach. Okay. Thanks. Because admitting that I don't know partly as I was saying. No, that's, that's what I want to do to appreciate it because it is a scary thing to admit that you don't know exactly where things are yeah. going. <laughs> but it's also
0: We've all got used to the idea of emergent stuff happening. When Twitter was launched, if Jack Dorsey had said, I know what this is going to become, he just didn't. And I'm not saying this is going to be as big as Twitter, and it's not intended to be. It's a different kind of thing. And also, this is the other thing. Every time I talk to somebody like Colin or you, Ryan, but the people that have become part of this founding circle they all know much more than me about so many things. Again, in fact, with this call with Ben yesterday, just an example, he started talking about how when he runs sort of, you know, Zoomy type get togethers at the moment, he's sending out packs beforehand because we were talking about how the different senses push different emotional buttons. And he's been looking a lot at the neuroscience of this. And so therefore, you know, if you can connect with other senses, obviously you're going to create something a bit more meaningful. And when I, I've i given a couple of TEDx talks and one of those, I got everybody to dance. And it's something I used to do in my keynotes until everything stopped in terms of keynotes. I I'd, I'd get people to dance embarrassingly in front of people they know or don't, it, it doesn't really matter. Simply because I know that we've all seen 100 keynotes and we forget a hundred keynotes and there's the line from Maya Angelou that I can't remember exactly but basically we forget everything we forget every everything you tell me I'll forget everything that you say to me thanks very much but if you make me feel something I'll remember that I think Napoleon said that too
1: (laughs) (laughs) I
2: I think I think (laughs) definitely definitely Or wasn't it Genghis Khan I can't remember (laughs) You yes. think of that movie, Night at the Museum, which has got a <laughs> time in it, right. You know? That's
1: right. And I have no a, idea what you're saying, but it's brilliant. it's a deep pull. Uh, <laughs> <because> <laughs> yeah. uh, no, that, the, my Angela quote about, you know, remembering how how you feel was a very good one before I distracted you.
2: I guess part of the reason why you're listening to this podcast is because you want to learn, grow and develop yourself personally. Why not let me help you by acting as your personal mentor or coach and help you develop yourself into the business person you'd like to be. I have years of experience in corporate life, progressing from the shop floor all the way through to a senior executive position. I then started my own business and grew it from nothing into a multi-million dollar consultancy recognized by the Financial Times as being one of the leading management consultancies. So whether you're in corporate life or starting your own business, you can benefit from my years of experience. To find out more, just go to beyondphilosophy.com backslash coach. That's beyondphilosophy.com backslash coach. On the site now, and I was just
0: mentioned this earlier about this, we've got, it's worldxo.org forward slash coming soon, which I've just posted last night, because we've got so much interesting content. And I'm really happy that it's, a lot of it's exclusive, but importantly, it's provocative because that's the other thing. When you set up something like the WXO, it's such a wide area. And I've borrowed a phrase from a friend of mine, not a French guy, amazingly. <laughs> it says, <laughs> it's very hard to boil an ocean. So if I'm going to make this, WXO work, and I'm lucky enough to get the support of people like you guys and like Joe Pine, you know, pioneers in the field, I've realised that I can't go for everybody in the experience economy. I mean, maybe one point, you know, we'll, we'll cross the chasm and that's what will happen. The key people that we need here are the pioneers. They're the ones that already get the idea that if we step out of our own sector, we'll find something interesting. This is how I've sort of pitched it to myself why this is worth the time, and I think it may work even though it's such a big area and it's hard to boil an ocean, is that there's almost a horizontal niche of people, if this makes sense, as opposed to a vertical niche, which is where these things work very well. It's a horizontal niche of the people who are the innovators and who are prepared to be provoked. People who are happy to be told, you are completely wrong. And that's where actually academics are really fun. One of the great things about having a conversation with academics is if somebody stands up and says, you're completely wrong, that's not offensive. Whereas often in a kind of business area, everyone kind of dances around the tune and says, well, I, I really like what you said there, but maybe we can do this as opposed to, that's just wrong. We ran an interesting, actually a fantastic piece by a guy called Peter Holstbeck, who is one of Denmark's leading immersive theatre designers, creators, producers. And he's, he's run this thing at, I think it's called Kronborg Castle, and which I guess must be associated with Hamlet, the Shakespeare play. But they run these immersive uh, Shakespeare plays, uh, Hamlet. Uh, and they've been doing that for, I think, for the past couple of years. And they've, I think they've doubled the ticket price and had something like 250,000 people go through. And so it's, Wildly successful. Anyway, he wrote this wonderful piece about immersive everywhere and how every experience should be immersive and broke down the reasons why. One of the people in the founding circle sent me a, a long kind of takedown of what was wrong with this piece. And it was just, and the annoying thing was, I said to her, I can't really say who it is, but I said to her, So can we just publish that? And she said, Oh, I think I might say it in a different way. But I am going to encourage people to just disagree. And I think. When we get that, what we're going to do is something's going to come from it. I've got another piece from um, an American academic at Iowa University, a guy I like very much, who is, a, I think you could say, a veteran, experienced economy researcher and pioneer, written wonderful books, a guy called Ben Honeycutt. And he has this real piece that's almost post-consumerism, slightly anti-consumerism, but more post-consumerism. And i as I said to in my email, I totally disagree with you. And I love this. I can't wait to publish it because I want to see what people respond. So one of the challenges actually, Ryan, is how do we make that happen via the website? But obviously we're going to do events as well, but I want to make it a way that suits people because
2: sometimes you have thoughts, you haven't got the time to write it.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I actually think it's going to be important to have people talking together and have some form of events where people can talk and ask questions and have a panel or something like that, that where you know that there are people there that are going to have different opinions. Because I think a mature conversation is when you actually do talk to somebody who's got a totally different thought process to the one that you've got and challenges the thinking. The issue for me is, and something I would like to discuss, it is there's a hell of a difference between providing an immersive experience in a theatre and in a retail setting or something like that and someone and a business-to-business organisation that are selling syringes, yeah. you know? That difference between in this sort of travel destination experience theatre Style things, I can see where all those things play out and everything else. But what about at this boring end? What about when I'm selling a a piece of construction equipment and I'm still having an experience and all the rest of it? Now, I'm where Joe and Luke Albanan and I and we we did a webinar a little while ago and we did a podcast. So if people haven't listened to that, it'd be worth people going back and listening to. At the end of the day, when you drill it down to the brass tacks, a human being is made up in a certain way. And therefore, this is where behavioral science and emotions and all those things come in and smell and blah, 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 all come into play. So the common factor, if you like, is the human being. It's how it's delivered and in what context is that then being delivered and how do you deliberately evoke those emotions to people. Does that make sense?
0: It totally makes sense. And it's a, it's a really interesting area. I, I will disagree with you that I think selling syringes is boring and the B2B sales, but I'll, I'll agree with you. There's a real challenge. It's not that, and I think this is, again, I don't know the answer to this, but, but I'm also really fascinated by this about how you can take learnings from one area and push them into another area. And of course, you know, if you think about what Punch Drunk do with those kind of amazing wander around immersive theater shows and how different that is to a B2B sale. But, and it's funny actually, I was in contact with a guy who was a concept designer at Walt Disney Imagineering, and he's wants to move across into sort of VR and I think kind of immersive gaming. And I said, we're connected on LinkedIn. I said, Hey, that's really interesting. How about putting together an opinion piece about how you take the skills from one experience sector, the one that you know, and the one you're known for and how you translate that into another experience sector. And what was wonderful is he came back with this. Hi, James. I wish I had an answer for that question. I haven't worked in other sectors before. <laughs> Which to me was a great answer because instantly I went back, well, thanks very much. We're going to work on this. And where I think this will become really interesting is we, when we run those pieces on how to make stuff immersive, we'll start to push it and start to ask, okay, well, this is how you just, I want to say this, I'm a real believer in the importance of the hero's journey. I think it's the story of our lives. I think it's a framework that resonates for us because it is the story of our lives. And so that works in both storytelling in Star Wars and Hollywood movies. It works in the design of any kind of experience. And I think that could work in the B2B journey as well. One of the things that has occurred to me is one of the problems I have with customer journey maps is they always feel... I'm going to use the wrong term here because I've not really expressed this much out loud, but they feel prosaic. They feel transactional is not quite the right word. I know everyone's drawn this out, but also the problem with customer journey maps is there doesn't appear to be any science behind them. I'm kind of geeky and I like to only believe something if someone's done proper research. I'm not saying that people haven't got evidence that these things work because obviously they can be useful and you can measure if they have an impact. But I was thinking actually about these. A couple of guys who've published a piece for us about, it's called Attention Please. And this is Matt Durden, who's at Brigham Young University, and Bob Rossman, who I should check where Bob is. I should know. I think he was at Texas A&M. They've written this book called Designing Experiences. And in that, they talk about experience mapping. I'm intrigued to see how experience mapping, if it's based on the deep psychology of the hero's journey, could be useful to B2B sales. Because if you suddenly think about your customer as the hero, and you're therefore the mentor or the ally, maybe you could be the shapeshifter too, maybe you could be the, the enemy at times, and you see them as that hero, you can see where your product, service, or experience fits into their hero's journey. And at that point, I think that's going to be quite useful. So actually, we've got a person involved, and I don't know if you've come across this guy, a guy called Vince Kadlubeck, who is the CEO, or maybe he stepped down now, but he's the founder of something called uh, Meow Wolf which is arguably America's greatest, most exciting immersive experience. They're opening in uh, Vegas and Boulder next year, having been very successful in Santa Fe. I think they were named by the New York Times, one of those, or both of those, as the most exciting things to see in 2021. And Vince is now, he's now set up something called Spatial Activations, which is basically taking his learnings from the immersive experience world into retail. And he's working, he's got something, there's a place called Area 15, which he's just worked on with the Fisher family, which has just opened in Vegas this year. And I'm also thinking of Fabian Riggle at Secret Cinema, who I had lunch with him a while back. And he was telling me about how he's working with hospitality firms and retail firms to take some of his learnings from Secret Cinema into that space as well. Thank you. You've reminded me, I'm going to chase uh, Vince and Fabian and see if they'll write something (laughs) because... I think it'd be so interesting. And, and Colin, what I'm one of the things I'm hoping for here is that people who've got a background in CX will also work with the guys in, in Immersive. And I'm hoping that the WXO will facilitate those kind of connections so that, let's say you go to sw- Swingers, Colin, in, do you know Swingers? No. Okay. It's not quite as
1: exciting as it sounds. I was going to say, Colin, I'm not <laughs> sure you would ever want to admit that you did know about that on it's the indoor crazy golf thing
0: that is a brilliant thing in center of town and very successful one of the founders matt greg smith has shared some of the very exciting insights about people going out to real world experiences already between the lockdowns that we've had the idea that he could learn something from you and that maybe you might take something from him i think is going to be yeah where this becomes
2: interesting to be totally honest with you that's the key reason for me why i find this exciting Okay. It's the ability to have a debate with other people who share a similar passion, but come at it from a completely different angle. Can you rewrite that down somewhere, Colin?
0: Cause you've summed up something really nice. I want to steal it. <laughs> similar, you, you said it better, but something about, a, you know, a similar passion, but come, similar passion coming from a different angle. That was it, wasn't it?
2: Yeah. Yeah. So we share a similar passion, but we're coming at it from a different angle. Okay. I would concur with your thoughts about journey mapping. And the danger is again if I if I go back to what I said at the beginning, which was people are doing it just because everybody else is doing it. Journey mapping's one of those things. We do a journey map because everybody else is doing a journey map. But do we actually really understand what a journey map should contain now? We're just doing it because we're ticking a box here. And it's not really looking at the customer's experience with an emphasis on the word experience it's just going through a process of the customer does this then the customer does that then the customer does that so I think the the interesting part for me and where the learning comes is when you do go this is what this is what I think and then somebody else goes no this is what I think and you go "Plenty, ah, that's a good point never thought about it from that way before I think we're going to call this podcast Genghis Khan because it's (laughs) definitely the Genghis (laughs) Khan I like it it's the meeting of those minds to go, hold on, yeah, that's a really good thought. And if I merge it with my thought over here, it's that classic example of um, two and two don't make four, they make five, six or seven, because you, you've you added value to it.
0: Firstly, what you said about customer journey mapping is, is really about sort of timeline. It's like a timeline of what people do. They do this, then they do this, then they do this. But if you think about a journey, a journey has a purpose, I mean, the starting point of a journey is the why, but also I, I kind of didn't answer it beforehand about how we're gonna get people to connect with each other. I think obviously in a, a world without real world events, we'll be doing it by Zoom. And I've run quite a few workshops over the you know, since COVID happened, and you can do it really well where you kind of have some people present at the beginning and it's, it's tended to be me or me and another person. And then those breakout rooms can be really powerful and fun. I agree, and I think that will be really good.
2: James we're going to have to bring this to a close because I don't want to run over time with everybody. Uh, we'd normally try to keep these uh, for our audience to about half an hour. This has been a fascinating conversation and I and I really would recommend that anybody listening to the podcast goes to the website and uh, checks it out because I think you're going to find some really interesting material there. If people want to get hold of you James if you've said something that's made people think hopefully that's the case. I'm sure it has because it's made me think even today. How best should they get hold of you?
0: Easiest thing to do is to go to worldxo.org. So worldxo.org and go to the contact form. Or you can email me at james.wallman at worldxo.org. And come along and you know, I would say to people is come along and take a look and sign up for the membership because we're looking at founding members at the moment to go alongside the founding circle and come and get involved. Come and come and say what's wrong, come and say what we're missing, come and say what the experience economy is missing and and why the idea is a bad idea or what something that you know that somebody else hasn't thought of is be really interesting.
2: Yeah, and we'll put all of those links in the in the show notes. So um, people can just click on those and go through. Ryan, any last thoughts from you from a more independent viewpoint? I love what you're pursuing here culturally, James.
1: Um, I'm naturally a little hesitant about best practices. I understand their values and their usefulness, and they can certainly improve efficiency for organizations if they look around at what their competitors are doing. But best practices are also inherently reductive. It's all of us converging on a set of ideas. Where best practices get exciting is exactly the kind of environment you're proposing, where my best practices are very different from your best practices because we exist in completely different environments. And now that's an opportunity for real kind of growth and expansion. So I'm excited about what you're doing, James. I wish you all the best in it. Thank you very much. That feels to me like a, a, an op-ed piece, Ryan. <laughs> I, think, I think you've pitched us both on like five op-ed pieces just in the course of this. Never stop closing is the message I'm getting from you today. Well, just, but that's a
0: really good point because I am pushing with the WXO that we are going to, ha- I want us to be the ultimate resource for the frameworks, the methods that you can use to create great experiences. So we've just run a piece with by Joe Pine on the four levels of hybrid experiences. We're going to publish there something about how to create or how to create flow. But it's not the aim, is, I like what you said there. It's not about being reductive. It's not like, oh, we'll do this Me Too stuff and then we'll create something. Take something that someone's done in one place, translate it, going, well, how does that work for me in my sector? And then coming up with some kind of alchemical, weird thing that's new and different and magical. And that's,
2: yeah. So what you said there is nice. And on that shock, Hold what's, Ryan has said something that's Colin, nice. you're the
1: only one who is shocked. You and my kids
2: are the only stay ones. Nice,
1: stay nice, everyone. I'm I'm never shocked when I come up with something brilliant.
2: Great. Okay. Thanks very much for listening. I'm just going to be in shock and I'll get off the floor in a minute um, because Ryan said something nice. And we look forward to uh, talking to you all next week. Thanks, thanks a lot. Thanks. See ya. Thanks, Jeff.